great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna... What is up, everybody? Welcome in to Shout, uh, a Buffalo Bills football podcast brought to you on this Wednesday night by Tops Friendly Markets. Right now, you can enter for a chance to win $1 million just by going over to topsmarkets.com slash red zone and entering their Kings Hawaiian slider contest. Each week, Kings Hawaiian is pitting two city sliders against each other in the ultimate showdown, and you get to help decide the winner. Vote weekly for your favorite regional slider for a chance to win all season long and earn entries toward the $1 million prize. You can explore interactive stadium to play games, get recipes, share photos, and so much more. Again, go over to topsmarkets.com slash red zone to enter. I'm going to bring in my man, Ryan Talbot. What's up, buddy? Hey, not too much. Staple show Wednesday night. Plenty to talk about. Is there something to talk about? <laughs> no, nothing's been going on this week, right, Ryan? There's there's no reason why we should have done a show probably sooner than this. I have to apologize. I, I've been really, really busy the last couple of days. I really wanted to launch that secondary show post Sunday edition audio only. It just kind of get kept getting pushed back and pushed back. And obviously the Josh Allen hysteria and kind of covering all of that the last couple of days on the news side of things has kind of pushed it back and pushed it back. And then I got to the point where there's so much out there. I wanted a real clear picture of the situation before we podcasted and talked about what was going on. And I think we're as clear as we're going to get on that at this point here at 7.30 on Wednesday night. We're going to dive in that, into that tonight. And I know... Ryan, I started getting text messages on Monday, DMs about Josh Allen and some of the rumors that were starting to circulate the morning after the Jets game. And, you know, things were going around about like season ending injuries. I had family members texting my wife who was texting me. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Where are we going? Where are we getting this from? And obviously, you know, whenever like a, you know, quarterback their elbow their arm their wrist their shoulder anything involved there i get the kind of hysterics of it all uh but i kind of think it was just more of a wait and see and and see where we land here and and what we can surmise at this point is the most clear report out there came from two people ian rapaport and chris mortensen uh it is a sprained reportedly a sprained ucl uh in the right throwing elbow. Uh, that's according to Ian Rappaport. Um, Chris Mortensen said, uh, added to the report as well. Sean McDermott today said that he is going to um, take it one day at a time. He's day to day, which Ryan just in and of itself right there, the day to day moniker, as yeah. opposed to the week to week moniker. That's a really big deal. He didn't practice today. He was out there at the end and we saw him walk through the facility to go into the building after practice. He did not speak to the media. He has not done the Kyle Brandt podcast. So that's about where we are here. And I think so far, so good. I think bullets have been dodged. But again, we still need kind of some more intel here. Yeah. Uh, and Sean McDermott is not one to sit down and give you the uh, details word for word on what's happening, the timeline. Uh, Part of him, I think, likes to keep things vague, keep opposing teams on their toes. Uh, They could keep Josh Allen listed as questionable all week, you know, on Friday on the designation and then maybe wait until the last minute to make a coin flip decision. Either way, if he's going to play in this one, they could do it again next week, too. Uh, obviously not thrilled with the injury that that Josh Allen uh, has, but in, in terms of what we know about Sean McDermott from his tenure with his team, that was right up his alley today. Day-to-day, don't want to talk about the specifics, uh, giving you about the least amount of information that you could possibly uh, want on such an important matter. But you're right, from the hysteria of Sunday night, Monday, um, what's going on with his arm, uh, Tommy John surgery, this, that, and the other season ending that, you know, those rumors, they just snowball, Matt, someone starts something and then it, it takes off from there. You got to wait because the bills, first of all, that this organization is very tight lipped. They don't let much out. So when guys like Rappaport Mortensen get it, yeah, it's coming from someone close to Allen, obviously, 
But um, don't listen to what gets put out there on social media uh, from someone who knows a guy who knows a guy. Wait for the, the news to actually break. And from what we know now, Matt, probably the best case scenario from what we saw in the game with him clutching the arm, the elbow area and, and to what we know now. Mortensen actually was the first one to have the fact that it was the yeah. ulnar collateral ligament. Uh, wanted to clarify that, give him uh, that proper um, credit. And then Rappaport came out a day later on Tuesday with a little bit more of the details and thought it was going to be something that you know Allen was going to be able to work through. And if you go back to 2018, his rookie season in that Houston Texan game, it was a UCL injury as well, a, a, a slight tear, uh, which is what it, it, it is reportedly believed to be again here. And Stefania Bell, I, you know, I put out a story on Tuesday, I believe, maybe actually Monday. That was the Monday story where you know she said, looking at the mechanic, uh, mechanism of the injury where Josh Allen's forearm was hit as he prepared to throw, it fits the UCL. UCL. But before everyone panics, let's wait and see what the details are. There are a range of outcomes depending on severity and functionality. And I, I know a lot of people when this first happened and people start throwing around like Tommy John surgery and how that can potentially affect or play a part in this. By my recollection, and there's there might have been more, but the, the biggest like name to ever have Tommy John surgery and miss an extended period of time, I think is Jake DeLome. It doesn't happen very often. So when that starts getting thrown around and you're thinking like one, two, see two seasons, it just doesn't happen as much at the quarterback position. Again, none of us are doctors. We're kind of just piecing all of this stuff together. But even from the jump, I don't think that that was if it was a full tear. Yeah, I, I would imagine that would be a, a huge, massive problem. But this is something that he's dealt with in the past. And him coming out after the game saying slight pain combined with jo uh, Sean McDermott saying, day to day. I think they dodged the big bullets, but Brian, I'm sitting here right now today, not practicing today, Monday or Wednesday. I, I'm fully expecting Josh Allen not to play on Sunday. And I guess we could start to get into that and what that may look like for the bills. It's a fitting storyline because of course, Case Keenum, the best year of his career came in Minnesota where the Vikings are coming to town. Obviously the history with Stefan Diggs and Keenum with the uh, Minneapolis miracle and how Stefan Diggs left that team. The first time he's going to play against his former team, I believe since he came to the bills. Um, so yeah, a lot kind of at play here, but at the end of the day, the bills coming off a loss to the jets, wanting to get back in the wind column at home against the Vikings doing that with case Keenum, while not impossible, it definitely changes a little bit. Yeah, it becomes a lot more difficult to do, and I agree. It's not impossible. We've seen backups uh, in this league win games just this year. Cooper Rush did a really nice job uh, with an extended stint with the Cowboys, for instance. So is it possible? Yes. Uh, but for the Bills, they're getting a 7-1 and one Minnesota Vikings team in here, and uh, you know, I don't know if you can expect a bizarro Minneapolis miracle type of situation on Sunday with Case Keenum and Stefan Diggs on the other side of, of the field uh, making these connections. Case Keenum is fine for what he is, uh, one of the better backups in this league, Matt. But it, it almost depends on what Bill's defense shows up on Sunday. If that defense can hold the Vikings in check, keep them low scoring, then I think Case Keenum and this Bill's team can compete and can win. If Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen and, and company, Delvin Cook, uh, they're scoring points, putting up points early. I'm not sure I, I can trust a Case Keenum to throw the ball 25, 30 times for the Bills to win the game. And, you know, that's the case with most backups around the league. So I'm not trying to pick on Case Keenum, but there is obviously, and, and most obvious statement probably of the podcast here, Matt, a significant drop off from Josh Allen to Case Keenum. You know, it's interesting listening to Stefan Diggs talk about Keenum today because he he knows him as good as well as anybody does on the Bills. I mean, spending an entire season with him, you know, playing 15 games, including those two playoff games with him, he has a really good idea of what, you know, Case Keenum brings to the lineup. And he I thought it was interesting because like he he talked about Case being like his game kind of similar to Josh Allen, that he does make some plays out, out of structure, out of the pocket, in a little bit of a different way. He's not as physically imposing. He's not as quick. He's not as fast. He's not as elusive. But on the run in the past, he has shown to make plays before. But you just look at the, the, the biggest difference for me is just like he doesn't put pressure on opposing um, defenses with his running ability. And this season alone, Josh Allen has rushed for 392 yards and four touchdowns. Do you know how many yards and touchdowns Case Keenum has rushed for in his NFL career that spans 72 <laughs> games? 
uh, 200 yards and one score. More than way more than that. I'll, I'll okay. give him, I'll give him some credit. He's rushed for 450 yards, which is Josh Allen's almost there in a half a season and six touchdowns. So okay. a little bit of a different right. situation. I think like the route trees are going to change in terms of what's available to the bills, but like this might have to unlock Ken Dorsey a little bit and get creative with what they do around the line of scrimmage. I thought one of the things that, you know, you can do to, to negate a really good defensive line is get the ball in playmakers hands like at and around the line of scrimmage, be creative and, and let them get in space and try to make some plays. And they just didn't do an, a good enough job against the jets. I think you can have some success in that area against Minnesota. Although the Vikings are giving up a lot of yards this season, but they're not giving up a lot of points. They're 12th in the NFL at 20.1 points per game. So their defense, while kind of like a bend, but don't break model, a lot like the bills. Yeah. I was just going to say, it's kind of like, uh, the Bills model. We're going to give up some yards. We're going to let you kind of go up and down the field, especially maybe early in the game. But then we're going to lock it down, hold you to field goals, uh, get even better as the game goes on in a lot of these cases. So the one thing I'll say, Matt, I don't know if the Bills can win this game with Case Keenum and company, but it might force Ken Dorsey's hand to really work on the run game and get try to get the run game going. Uh, because, you again, you can't lean, lean on Case, uh, Case Keenum to throw 25 30 times in a game. You want to be able to depend on the run to set up uh, manageable situations for Keenum. You want to give Singletary the ball a lot. That means getting James Cook involved, maybe some screen passes or quick passes to Naheem Hines. Use the position that you kind of ignored on Sunday against the Jets after having two really good back-to-back games where Singletary was featured with 17 carries in one game, 14 in another. Uh, You want to see that at least get going. So maybe the silver lining of this is they can unlock something in the run game. So when Allen comes back, whether it's, and, and I don't want to sit here and say he's not playing on Sunday. You and I both are probably in the same ballpark of saying, we don't think he'll play on Sunday, but we're not doctors. The, the team doctors are going to know what the best course of action is for him. If he doesn't play this week, maybe he comes back the following week. And I think that would be very good for him. As you can hear my puppy squeaking a toy in the background. That's great. Yeah. And actually, <laughs> Diggs was kind of asked about that. Like, would you be surprised if, would it surprise you to see him out there on Sunday? And, um, or he, the, the question was, would it not surprise you to see him out there on Sunday? And Diggs was like, yeah. And he laughs like almost like along the lines of what Sean McDermott was saying, this guy is a, an ultra competitor and the bills might have to be in a position, Ryan, to kind of protect him from himself mm-hmm. because you don't, Listen, you need him for every game. Like, I, I think I just retweeted a tweet. The Bills have 23 touchdowns this season. And outside of a running score for James Cook in garbage time and a Isaiah McKenzie jet sweep touchdown, Josh Allen has been a part of every touchdown score for the Bills this season, 23 of 25. So you can't overstate how important he is to this offense. But it's a situation where you want to make sure you get him right, especially for the really important stretch. You want to beat the Vikings. You want to beat the Browns. You want to beat the Lions on Thanksgiving. And I'm sure the NFL is like looking at this, this potential uh, enormous catastrophe with him not playing on Thanksgiving is, is just exactly that. But then you got the Patriots, the Jets, the Dolphins. Those have become now, Ryan, must-win games because of what those sure. teams are doing in the AFC East. You know, the Patriots have some winnable games over the next couple of weeks. There are a couple of games over 500. We all remember the hysteria that ensued after the win game in Buffalo last year against the Patriots. And that kind of thing can get things really dusted up with another, you know, Titanic matchup with the Jets. And then obviously the one that everybody's had circled, the Miami Dolphins, since that game uh, down in South Florida in September. Yeah, listen, you you want to win on Sunday against the 7-1 Vikings team. You want to stay in first place in the AFC and in the conference as a whole, if possible. But the long-term health of Josh Allen, first and foremost, is what matters the most. Uh, having him healthy for the remainder of the 22, 2022 season matters the most, more than just one game. So if he has to sit out one week, Uh, to get right, or even two weeks, that's more important because, yeah, maybe they don't end up winning the number one seed in the conference, but that still puts them uh, in in a good spot to win the division. It still puts them in a good spot to to have a deep playoff run and maybe come out of the AFC and be the uh, representative in the Super Bowl. If Allen comes back too soon and gets hurt again and he's out for an extended period, 
you might have to kiss the playoffs goodbye, the number one seed, and in, in obviously in the AFC goodbye. And that's a lot worse than maybe dropping one game here over the weekend. It's so interesting, the year-to-year dynamic of team, a team and their ability to stay healthy. I mean, so much has been made over the last couple of years about the Bills, you know, really keeping a lot of their stars healthy. I mean, Tredavious White was the first big time injury, season ending injury that I feel like has popped up in the McDermott era, especially since they drafted Josh Allen. That's been like, you know, a season to season type of injury. And you look at what's been going on this year and obviously losing Micah Hyde for the year was this another titanic blow. Whatever's going on with Jordan Poyer right now, he's um, he didn't practice today. He's still listed as day-to-day. Again, that is a really good designation for him. Um, I would venture to guess, without knowing the specifics, that you will see Jordan Poyer again this season. I know that there's been some talk about maybe him being out for the year or this being more of a serious injury. I mean, that dude is an absolute gamer. If there's any way that he could tape that arm on or at the elbow and get out there and play, I'd imagine that that's what's going to end up happening. And you're still seeing him, Ryan, around the team. Like he was out, uh, you know, doing that work, that activity that, you know, you, you, when you look at guys that are like ruled out for the season, they tend to be pulled away from the team a little bit and doing more work off to the side. Like we didn't see Ike Bucker for a while. We didn't see Trey white for a while when Micah Hyde first got hurt. Like he got pulled out of the whole situation. Right. You know, Jordan Poyer was you know, warming up before uh, the game. He was out on the field again uh, today out of practice talking to, and joking to Brandon Bean. So I still think it's, you know, bright days ahead potentially there for Jordan Poyer. Uh, but right now he's not practicing listed his day to day with that elbow. It's very well could be that he doesn't play again this week. If you think back to training camp, he was out for a little while there. Like he, it was a couple of weeks before yeah. he was able to get back and practice again. Tremaine Edmonds didn't practice today. He's been dealing with a heel. Um, as a matter of fact, so much on the Case Keenum thing today. Make sure that that is still uh, the injury. Look at that. So doing some doing some uh, research on the fly here. Tremaine Edmonds groin is added to the mix, which is not a good sign. So we could, you know, Bills fans could go from. Matt Milano missing last week. He returned to practice today. And, you know, you'd imagine his status probably improves over the course of the week to maybe potentially playing against the Minnesota Vikings now without the other linebacker, maybe if he's not able to get back. Yeah, it's been quite the laundry list for injuries this year. And that's the nature of the NFL. I I don't want to say Bills fans have been spoiled, um, but in a way they have been. The, The past few years, this team has been the healthiest or among the healthiest in the league. The injury reports have been very short. Uh, there haven't been any many significant injuries. You mentioned it. Trey White was the first big significant injury uh, of this Bills team that was contending for a Super Bowl since like that 2020 season. So you lose White on Thanksgiving last year, but they're still relatively healthy the rest of the season. This year, though, they're missing guys left and right and key players at that. Uh, Spencer Brown's been out for a little bit. Greg Rousseau's listed as week to week now after the high ankle sprain that he suffered against the Jets. You mentioned Poyer. Uh, The designation is really good day to day. Like I I just said, Uh, they don't hesitate to use week to week if they think it's more serious, like a Greg Rousseau case. So Poyer should come back at some point, but he's missed significant time. They've lost uh, Hyde this year. So they've gone through a lot, Matt, in the 2022 season alone, and we're only at the halfway point. Uh, So those last two years where they've been really, really healthy, it's kind of catching up to them this year a little bit. And they're kind of facing the circumstances that a lot of teams over, over the last few years, including some of these Super Bowl contenders over the last few seasons have had to deal with. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, obviously with Poyer being out this past game, Jaquan Johnson had to go in and and start uh, and, and, and maybe dive into that a little bit before we move uh, on to another topic. I don't think Jaquan Johnson was very good in that game. Uh, I went back and watched it and, you know, of course, like we could specifically zero in on, you know, that last drive. And he, according to pro football focus, he had three missed tackles. According to pro football reference, he had two missed tackles. And I don't know, for me, it felt more closer to five and two specifically happened on that last drive. And it's just, you knew this was going to happen, Ryan, at some point because of the talent level of the guys that have been in those roles for the yeah. last five years. Whoever came in, all these like mistakes for young players trying to figure it out, they were going to be amplified. But I just think that DeMar Hamlin has just been 
so much better than what they've gotten out of Jaquan Johnson. And Johnson's been that guy in waiting for years. I, you know, the, the vibe I got in the building was that, you know, he was just going to absolutely erupt on the scene when he finally got his opportunity. And it's just, it hasn't really worked out that way. I really think that going into this week, there could be a change there. I know a lot of people want to say, you know, Dean Marlowe, somebody in the mix, but I, I think Marlowe is that depth guy. And I think he kind of fits more into that free safety role, which is what DeMar Hamlin's playing. And he's playing it at a high level. I don't see him taking him out of the lineup. It wouldn't surprise me, Ryan, if they maybe take some kind of crazy swing and maybe try Cam Lewis, because one of the things about that position that to me is so important and what Jordan does so well is he flies around and plays with his hair on fire, but he plays it in a very controlled manner. It's a controlled chaos, right? And I just don't think Jaquan Johnson, so used to special teams playing with his hair on fire and, and, and being chaotic, but doesn't have to be as controlled because you're doing one thing. You're running down the field and you're trying to make a tackle. You're doing the same thing every time when you got to play defense, it's a little bit different. And when you're filling in for Jordan Poyer, who does a little bit of everything at all three levels, it's tough. And I, and I know Cam Lewis, you're probably sitting there like what, but they've been, they've been giving him a lot of time there going back. You go back to training camp, right? Yeah. And they're working him in there. And, and now you might just want to throw something different out there and it could be Marlowe. But I just I wouldn't rule out the chance of maybe a Cam Lewis move. No, cross training was something we saw a lot at uh, training camp. Cam Lewis, uh, Nick McLeod, who's no longer with the team. They were trying different guys back there in the event that an injury took place. And looking back at that, probably pretty smart that they were doing that with some of their uh, defensive backs that also can play cornerback. So. Looking back at the Jets game, I'm surprised it's just two to three missed tackles for Jaquan Johnson. I mean, there were two plays specifically where he just took terrible angles on the running back mm-hmm. and, and whiffed. Um, so maybe, you know, I don't know if both of them counted as missed tackles. I would have counted them both as misses, but he, he did not have a good game at all. And maybe it, it's something where they still have faith in him, but you need to give him almost a wake up call, Matt. And giving Cam Lewis the start over him or giving him the majority of the reps over him in this game, that might do it. There, there's just something that's not clicking for him that that needs to be. And it's not fair to say that he should come in and play at a Jordan Poyer uh, type of level or a Micah Hyde type of level, because those two guys have been part of the best safety duo in this league since they've come together in 2017. But that drop off has been so significant. It hurt the team last week and it could keep hurting the team going forward if they just maintain the status quo. We spent some time talking about maybe some issues that the Bills face, obviously up front defensively. We can get into that in a little bit uh, as well. But let's let's switch gears for a quick second and talk about, you know, that wide receiving core that, you know, Stefan Diggs was asked a very pointed question about that today. And the fact that you know they've been facing a little bit of fire, you know, Jerry Sullivan, a Bill's fans favorite um, <laughs> columnist for the last couple of decades. Uh, he, he had a very pointed question to him today and he made a good stat. He said, listen, you have 60 catches. Nobody else on the bills has more than 20. And so it's been a lot of Stefan Diggs, and it's almost like a lot of the other players aren't really carrying their weight. And, you know, Gabe Davis has been such a boom or bust player in year three here. It's these explosive touchdown, heavy games, uh, you know, yardage games, like he had 88 in the opener, uh, just the one touchdown, or it's just where, you know, there's, there's been some drops. There's been just some, uh, you, you forget that he's on the field. You forget that he's available. And to be fair to him, he's been dealing with an injury. I I, I still, I'm, I'm maintaining that. I, I still don't think he's a hundred percent, but where's your level of concern with this wide receiving group? And is this just one of those lulls where you expect them to kind of do some, make some adjustments and find some answers at some key positions? And what do you feel like those answers might be? Yeah, I, I do have a level of concern because of the inconsistency of Gabe Davis, the ineffectiveness of the slot receivers uh, this year. I spoke to it on Sunday. Josh Allen had a safety blanket in Cole Beasley for the past two years, uh, and Beasley was great at what he had to do, sit down, pick up six, seven yards, move the chains. You know, there are things that Isaiah McKenzie does very well. He has more speed than Beasley. He can kind of go across the field more like he did in that Patriots game in man-to-man, but he he's still kind of learning the ropes at that slot position because this is his first full year of supposed to uh, where he's supposed to be the guy. Uh, when you go from that reserve role to a starting role, it's so much different. Khalil Shakir doesn't have a ton of NFL experience, obviously, in the slot either, so they need to figure that out. Um, so, yes, definitely a level of concern, and even Dawson Knox 
you know, I was actually surprised, man. I went back and I looked at his targets. I think he has 27 targets so far this year. Uh, and I went and I looked at pro football reference from last year and he had 26 or 27 in about the same amount of games last year. Uh, cause he missed a few with an injury last year. He missed one with an injury this year. So he was pretty much in the same ballpark, which surprised me. He just hasn't had those big plays where he had three for over a hundred last year against the, I think it was the Titans. He had some bigger performances. It just hasn't been there for him. Gabe Davis has been hit and missed. Like you said, And in terms of what the fix is, the depth of target the last two games for Josh Allen, it's been further down the field. Uh, I feel like the Bills need to start going back to taking what's given to them underneath, setting up some better situations and scenarios for second down, third down. And maybe maybe the defenses have been playing them a certain way the last few games, and he's had to go further down the field to try to complete the passes. But I feel like there's been opportunities where he's missed guys underneath where they could catch the ball and pick up some additional yards and set this team up in more advantageous, uh, advantageous scenarios. So it's not all on the receivers. Uh, it's not all on Josh Allen. We can also talk about the offensive line, Matt. Uh, in, in my uh, Encouraged Worried article, I, I shared this video clip that uh, was shared on uh, Twitter by someone named Phil Collins, which great name because Phil Collins is his profile picture. And <laughs> Allen had James Cook getting open on a wheel route for what would have been a touchdown. But by the time he was getting ready to throw it, pressure was right there in his face. So if he had a half a second more, he saw cook open, he would have thrown it in there. It would have been an easy score. It's just that pressure got to him in in the pocket. So a little it's, it's a combination of a a few little things that the bills have to go to the drawing board and figure out. Ryan is on fire and excellent takes come from Ryan Talbot on a, on a weekly basis here on the shot podcast, I gotta, I gotta give myself some demerits because I, I was way off on something and we can kind of dive in on this and, you know, for things that, you know, I'm always quick to, you know, pat myself on the back with, uh, with my jets take from, from March, but I, I gotta give myself uh demerits here for my Isaiah McKenzie take, because, you know, thinking about this, going back to the off season and, and projecting him into this slot role, I didn't really take into consideration how important what Cole Beasley did, how he won and how that differed from what Isaiah McKenzie has done in his best moments as a receiver. Isaiah McKenzie wins, Ryan. If you go back and watch that Dolphins game in uh, 20 or that um, Patriots game last year, he's winning on 15, 20, 25 yard crossers down the field. He's winning with his speed. He's not winning with his creativity off the line of scrimmage. And I think that's what they really need right now. And, you know, I was so quick to, you know, uh, discount what Jamison Crowder's role could be in this offense. Like I was one of the first people to kind of jump off of that train early in training camp when he wasn't available. And obviously we're at a point now where he's not available again. So maybe there, you know, I was onto something with that particular player, but what he potentially could bring, they have to find that. And I think where they're hoping to find that I, I saw some comments in here, Sarah on YouTube saying that she'd like to see a little bit more out of Shakir in the slot. And, and that's fine. I think you should give him more opportunities, but as we've heard from the bills, they're still waiting for him to develop in a lot of areas. Yeah. It's one of the reasons they're putting Naheem Hines at, at punt returner and saying Khalil just focused on working on receiver. So I think the most immediate type of adjustment that they can make is seeing how much they can get out of Hines as a slot receiver right away. Because right now, if you take those three players, Hines, Shakir, and McKenzie, just right now, maybe not six games from now or six weeks from now, but if you're talking about the ability to win, get separation immediately and be a safety valve for Josh Allen, Hines to me is somebody that I think might ha- might be in the lead and, and maybe just by a little bit, but enough to give it a chance. The problem is now, Ryan, Ryan Talbot, or uh, Ryan Talbot, Josh Allen's not practicing. Right. Naheem Hines just got to the Bills. So now you're not only... You have this whole situation with the elbow with Josh Allen, but you're also not allowing your new toy, your new weapon to get those very important practice reps in with Josh Allen. That's another kind of side, very, very side piece of this that has to be a little bit demoralizing for them as they try to work him into the situation. Yeah, it's definitely demoralizing. There was one play last week where Allen went to Hines and Hines was open he just didn't put enough air on the ball and, and it was uh, too far out of his reach despite Hines trying to lay out for it. 
I feel like uh, it might have been the play that Allen ended up scrambling and taking off, maybe scoring his first touchdown or getting actually to the one yard line because they, they ruled him down. He he was looking Hines' way on that route too. So they were they were trying to work on that rapport in live in game, but that's so hard to do when you've only had uh, like one practice, two practices together. So now they're going to miss out on that time as well. Uh, you you can only hope that Case Keenum can get some reps with him this week if he's going to be the quarterback that plays on Sunday, figuring out the best way to get him the ball, to utilize him. Using him as a slot receiver, Matt, would be a great idea. Uh, very good route runner, very fast. If you can get the ball in his hands and let him try to do the rest of the work, uh, I think it could really pay off for this Bills team that is really missing a valuable contributor from the slot. Khalil Shakir, as you mentioned, it's a lot on a player's plate when they first come into this league to just go out there and say, hey, you're a fifth round guy. Go out there in one of the best offenses in the league and pick up and, and play at a rate that a Cole Beasley was playing at for us for a few years. It just doesn't happen. And then, oh, by the way, up until that Heinz trade, we're also <laughs> going to have you back there on punt returns. It, it's a lot of work for a young guy. By week 14, 15, 16, could I see him being more heavily involved in the offense? Yes, because then you're going to know all the nuances. You're going to know uh, about the audibles that could get called up at the line. You're going to play with a lot of confidence. Uh, you're, you're not going to second guess yourself. So I think it's going to come with time for Shakir. Uh, Isaiah McKenzie, you play to his strengths. I, I like that they gave him uh, the, the end around for a score in this past game. That's what he was known for the, the past few years. So get your playmakers in there and get them the ball so that way they can be utilized in the proper manner. Speaking of playmakers, the top's got you covered with a bunch of playmakers this Christmas season. Check out uh, the Christmas bonus program. It is the season to save on groceries and all of your favorite holiday gifts and Christmas bonus is underway at Tops Friendly Market. Shop at Tops and save $10 at all of your other favorite stores and restaurants with over 25 gift cards to choose from. There's something for everybody on your list. And don't forget to treat yourself to some extra savings too. save on great gifts like toys, games from GameStop or Toys R Us at Macy's great family dining at Applebee's or Buffalo Wild Rings. That new big screen TV you've been wanting from Best Buy and so much more just by shopping at Tops. Be Santa's biggest little helper with Christmas bonus from Tops for a complete list of available gift card savings. Visit topsmarkets.com slash Christmas bonus. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. What is up, everybody? This is Matt Perino from Shout, a Buffalo Bills football podcast, here to talk to you about Prize Picks, the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. Prize Picks is the easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than on two to six player staff projections and watch the winnings roll in. Football season may be over, but the action on the floor is heating up. Whether it's tournament season or the fight for playoff home court, there's no shortage of high-stakes basketball moments this time of year. Get in on the excitement with Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app where you could turn your hoops knowledge into serious cash. You can now win up to 100 times your money on Prize Picks with as little as four correct picks. You could turn $10 into $1,000 with NBA, NHL, and college basketball entries today on Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app. Download the app today and use code SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, download the app today and use the code SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, for a first deposit match up to $100. Where do you want to go next, Ryan Talbot? How about a little Von Miller talk? We You talked to him a little mm. bit today. Media talked to him a little bit today. He had a lot of interesting things to say. So I'll, I'll kind of leave it there and let you kind of take the ball and run with it, Matt. Yeah, um, Von is so great, man. Like, usually what happens is um, the last couple of weeks I've said, hey, Von, how you doing? Just right at the beginning of his scrum. And he just goes on a little tangent. I think we might have gotten asked a question today. But six, seven minutes later, Later, it's just like, 
the media doesn't even have to do any work. You can kind of just like punch in for the day, put your feet up at the desk and, and just let Vaughn uh, be Vaughn and do what he does. And, you know, he, he's great. He really just takes you through all of, uh, you know, what's going on inside the building. He, he mentioned the fact that he was actually surprised on Monday. He was on his Twitch stream and uh, playing some video games and people were like blowing him up about what was going on with Josh Allen. And he's like, Wait, what? What's what's wrong with Josh Allen? Because he was just at his at his house apparently Sunday when they got back from New York. They all went over to Josh. A bunch of players went over to Josh Allen's house to debrief, talk about the game, uh, maybe watch it back. I don't I don't know the details of all that, but he was fine. He said he he had no idea. Like he he was really caught off guard. Uh, so I thought that was an interesting story. But then he got it talking about just where the Bills are at, and and I'm going to read this a big chunk of this quote uh, because I think it's interesting and we could talk about it because I had never thought about this before, uh, but I think it's interesting. This is the quote from Vaughn. We're six and two. I've been on teams where it was the other way around. We were two and six. It's definitely no panic from my end and definitely not any panic from any coaches. It's a long season. We're right here at the halfway mark. We've just got to keep pushing. I reminded the guys of last year when I got, uh, first got to the Los Angeles Rams. We were seven and one. Then we lost the next three games from the outside world. The sky was falling. We lost a tough game to the Tennessee Titans, uh, blah, 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 blah. Let me get through here a little bit. I want to get to the point uh, about they were still having uh, the guys in the, in the LA locker room. were still having uh, nerf gun fights. And I know they're famous for their nerf gun fights. It's funny because the bills actually side note here, they have these, like, I don't know if they're like airsoft, like nerf, pellets or something but they, they get after that in, in the locker room as well those are those are becoming apparently pretty common in nfl locker rooms but he said nobody was pressing and doing more uh than they usually do um uh, and coach mcveigh uh took some of the load off of them if i if i remember correctly he gave us a little bit more time to ourselves and it worked we were able to rattle off some wins uh up to the last game of the season we lost to the 49ers the last game of the season i think the 49ers needed that game to get into the playoffs if we won, we'd be the number one seed. If we lost, we'd be the number four seed. And we lost that game. We ended up being the number four seed, which is just a game longer to get to the Super Bowl. But I've always been a fan of like not being the number one seed because when you're the number one seed, it kind of takes that stinger away. You're playing against a playoff team that played in the playoff game the week before while you had a bye and we're just relaxing and getting your body right. It kind of takes that stinger off. And I think he's talking about like, you know, if you're B and you're trying to sting someone, uh, he hasn't really gone into that metaphor too much, but I, I'm put, putting the pieces together here on the fly. It's the shortest distance to the Super Bowl for sure, right? If you get the number one seed. So I'd like to say this, we're right where we need to be. I've been in this situation before and I remind all of my teammates and everybody in there, let's just keep pushing. Interesting perspective from Bond because from our, what we've been talking about, it's almost like at all costs, get that number one seed. But you don't think about that sometimes getting that number one seed like the Tennessee Titans did last year. Yeah. One and done. That, 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 that's really something could be to that. There could be. And there's valid points to what Vaughn said, because uh, you do. You come out with a little bit of rust. You're going against a team that played the previous week and might come out firing on all cylinders. The only case I can make for Buffalo, though, is you want to bring teams into that climate, into that weather uh, come January, come February. Get that nasty, nasty weather where the wind, the cold make other teams uncomfortable, where with the Rams, that was, you know, that wouldn't have been a, 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 the case if they had been the number one seed. You're going into a, you know, climate control type of stadium, state of the art facility. The you don't really have a home crowd or base there. A lot of those home games for the Rams, uh, to their credit, despite not feeling like home games, they still were able to pull out some really big games in the playoffs uh, and, and in the regular season when they needed to. Buffalo it would be a whole different atmosphere and environment if they were the one seed somehow. Uh, but I get where he's coming from. You want to play your best football down the stretch. If you take a week off, you might not be doing that. Some interesting things happening in the social media world, Ryan Talbot. Twitter is ablaze with hmm. craziness. Let's just say craziness. Yeah. We're in the middle, we're waiting for Stefan Diggs to come out and talk today. And John Scott has his phone out and from Spectrum Sports, friend of the show. And he just shows me this tweet from Adam Schefter. And it says that Josh McDaniels has been fired. And I'm like, eight games in? 
but it was Schefter and it had the little check mark and, and everybody started talking about it. And then it took 30 seconds until John realized that it was obviously a parody account. And obviously Elon Musk has unlocked the blue check marks for all of these people. And it's, it's crazy. It's like another level now of having to make sure that you're doing your checks and balances when you see some of these things come across the timeline. Yeah, that's exactly it. I, you know, I saw people sharing it and after they shared it, um, by the time I saw it, that check mark was removed from them temporarily. And then those accounts ended up getting suspended. Um, mm. So, but he's created an extra problem for himself for $8 a month. So, you know, maybe the revenue uh, ends up making it worth his while, but that's going to lead to so much more misinformation out there and problems uh, there was a Justin Herbert 10 that was sharing something that he got suspended to. And I can't remember what that tweet was now, but um, so many issues already with this new rollout where you can get the badge and it says, because you're a Twitter blue member. So if you know, now you have to hover over the check marks and make sure it says, Hey, they're, they are a part of a uh, business, a community, a, uh, someone that reports the news, you'll see that over some of the the verified badges where other ones will say they're verified because they pay the eight dollars a month. If you want uh, deals, uh, it, it's it's not eight dollars a month for a ch- for a check mark, but value home centers will give you deals all month long, every month, just by signing up for their text program. It's a it's a re- rewards program that you can't beat. Text value V A L U to eight zero six nine two. That signs you up for Value's uh, text program, and you start saving even more right away. Receive exclusive coupons, see their weekly deal, and so much more at Value Home Centers. I want to talk a little bit about Tredavious White Ryan. Um, this is a good time to maybe segue a little bit. And if there's anything else you want us to cover. Uh, we'll be back on Friday with our early preview of uh, Bills versus uh, Vikings. But the Jordavius White thing has been interesting to cover because we've been trying to kind of predict the the, the game that he was going to get back. I think it was trending towards a lot of people expecting him to play on Sunday when it, when it was made public that he was inactive. It wasn't really a surprise, especially on that field. But it, there seems to be this kind of like permeating like aggravation amongst a portion of Bill's fans about the fact that Trey White's not back yet. And it's, it, it, it's interesting to me because I've always been of the belief, no matter how long it took from whenever they made him active to, you know, if he was on the act 53 man to start the season, if you want, if he didn't play right away, whatever the case may be, it was do it at your own pace. It's why you drafted Kyrie Elam. It's why you have the depth that you have. You have Dane Jackson. You have now in a better, even better situation, having Christian Benford that's really progressing quite a bit as a six-round draft pick. And so they have a lot of depth at the position. The benefit of that is you don't have to rush Trey White back. And I know that you'd love to have him back, but even this week, what are we talking about with expectations for a guy that hasn't played football in almost a year, throwing him out there against arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL right now in Justin Jefferson. I think it's an exciting um, thing. Scott Moranto mentions it right here. Can't wait to see Trey White playing in a Bills uniform. 100%. It's going to be, the juice is going to be off the charts. But I just think all, you want your, all your bases covered when he goes out there that you feel like he's as close to ready to go as possible. And I think like a month of legit real practices is the perfect recipe for getting him to be ready to go. And that might be, and you know, we're not ruling him out for Sunday's game. Maybe you roll, you bring him out there, you you play him a dozen snaps, rotate him in there uh, with the other cornerbacks because they're pretty deep at that position. Uh, but this training staff, it was the same thing I said about Josh Allen. It's the same thing I'll say about Trey White and any other member of this roster. The Bills aren't going to rush anyone back. Yes, he's off. He's off that pup list. Yes. Uh, they, they feel good about him playing here in the near future. But you said it. Uh, you want to get him a lot of those live practice reps, get him a lot of action out there. So that way, uh, when you get him against an actual opponent, he's not uh, feeling like he's running in the mud, so to speak. And he has fresh enough legs to play meaningful reps when it matters in a, in a crucial drive late in the game, for instance. It, it's something that they have to be, I don't want to say cautious about, they have to be smart about them, Matt. And, and this coaching staff, this training staff, they're going to do just that. So maybe he makes that debut against the Vikings. Maybe they hold off for another week or two. 
uh, until he has enough of those practice reps under his belt and they feel like, okay, this is the Trey White that we remember. Uh, this is someone that we're going to feel pretty good about rolling out there on Sunday in, in whatever game that is or whoever that matchup is. And he's going to be able to lock down a portion of the field when he's on the field. Um, Spencer Brown limited uh, with that ankle injury. I thought during the open p- portion of practices, the most I've seen him do since suffering that injury. So that's that's kind of a th- something we'll track over the course of the week, getting him back. Uh, at the at the right tackle position, I think could help uh, just from a continuity perspective. I think Questenberry has been just fine, especially watching that game back. It it wasn't great. I, I think they had some more issues on the interior. But somebody that we haven't talked about, Greg Rousseau, uh, ankle injury, high ankle sprain. Sean McDermott giving him the week to week designation. That so you're probably looking at at the very least this week where he probably won't be able to play. And that provides a really nice opportunity for some guys that just, you know, it's hard to get, you know, the snaps. I mean, if you're, you're looking at, uh, you know, Shaq Lawson, who's kind of in the mix, AJ Epinesa now and Boogie Basham guys that have kind of been down on uh, in the packing order, this could be their chance to really earn some trust uh, with the uh, coaching staff. And this is a Miami uh, or a Minnesota Vikings team that from an offensive line perspective, Von Miller was trying to hand out their flowers today, but I don't know. It hasn't been, it hasn't been great up front for the Vikings. And I think this could be a matchup where the bills really can take advantage of that with their defensive line, who you got to think is a group nine deep are, are, are not happy about the question they've been having to answer over the last couple of days. Yeah. Uh, I think they're, they're probably pretty sick of answering those questions. And to be fair to them, I think the biggest issue with their run defense on, on Sunday against the jets was just poor tackling more than anything else. They had guys in the right spot, but they were just whiffing on tackles and mm-hmm. um, in, in a lot of those situations. So maybe they come back. They bounce back this week against the Vikings uh, across the board. As for Greg Rousseau being week to week, this provides a great opportunity for a young, a young guy like Boogie Basham, where I felt like last year when he got on the field, which was you know very sporadic, he was a healthy scratch a lot last year. I thought he made some plays. I thought he's made some plays this year when he's been given opportunities. Now you're going to see a more extended role for him with Rousseau out. AJ Apinesa, uh, he's had some missed tackles, but he's also had some plays where he's really pushed the pocket where he's been solid against the run. He recovered that fumble that Von Miller uh, forced against the Jets. So he's had some moments. You can get him out there and, and get him some more reps too to really uh, analyze where he is and evaluate where he is at this point in his career. And then obviously Shaq Lawson, if you are concerned about the run defense, uh, you want to get him in the mix as much as possible. He's always been solid against the run, Matt. He, he's a veteran presence on that line in that locker room uh, that they can really lean on right now for however long Rousseau is out. If I were to tell you going into the season that we'd be sitting here November 9th, going into week 10, and Shaq Lawson is out snapping Boogie Basham. If I tell you that going into the season, what's your reaction to that? Oh, yeah. I I don't know, because I, I guess it has to do with the depth, man. What, what about you? I'd have been surprised. I, I thought going into this, I always thought Shaq was going to be a potential lever that they could pull. Mm-hmm. But I thought that they were going to give every opportunity for Boogie Basham to find some, you know, some footing. You know, it's it's tough because when you spend back to back second round draft picks on a defensive end and then on top of that, you throw in a first rounder. Then you go pay Von Miller and then you bring back a guy that played 60% of the snaps for you two years ago. It's a lot of, you know, in the mix there that could, you know, keep these guys down. But I just don't see, know that we've, that Boogie Basham has received the kind of opportunity to truly evaluate where he's, where he is. And to a degree, I think you could say the same thing for AJ Epinesa, but I think he's had a longer, you know, uh, runway to kind of make more of an impact. And so, um, I just thought in year two, we'd see more of Basham and it just, it just haven't, hasn't materialized. And I, he may have, he may be playing snaps on the in, inside. I haven't noticed it at a super high level. As a matter of fact, I haven't seen any of the ends really pop rushing from the inside or playing on the inside other than maybe an occasional Greg Rousseau play uh, more so earlier in the season. So I'd have been surprised to be honest. Yeah, and that's fair. And yeah, Rousseau from the inside made a few impact plays early in the year where he just kind of pushed a guard right in the backfield. Uh, because of that size, that frame, the, the wingspan, he can do that. Uh, Boogie Bash, you know, you're right. You spend a second round pick on him. There's a lot of talk about 
how he was the more polished of the two defensive ends, which is fair because Rousseau was relatively inexperienced. He had, they had the COVID year where he didn't play. Um, but Basham had, has not had the opportunities that uh, maybe some fans have anticipated from last year and going into this year as well. So it'll be interesting to see how the snap count plays out. Um, do they give one of those younger guys, especially a guy like Basham, an extended look, see if he can get going with more reps? I think it's the case, Matt, of any position. Because, you know, I'm always sitting here beating the drum for Devin Singletary. Give him 12 to 15 to 17 carries. Let him get into a rhythm. I think there's something to be said about an edge rusher or a pass rusher like Boogie Basham, too. If you're bringing them out there uh, 5%, 10% of the snaps, it's hard to get into a rhythm. Yeah, you might have a lot of juice when you're in there, but you're not going against the the offensive uh, tackles or the offensive linemen to try to figure out ways to beat them snap after snap. It's just any like anything else. The more reps that they get out there, the better that the, their chances are of making an impact play is. So hopefully Boogie Basham gets those opportunities starting on Sunday. Yeah. And, you know, I also wonder how much, how difficult it is that they really love the versatility piece for all their players. Like it's, it's not only on the defensive line, like they like guys to be able to do multiple things for them. But like you see a guy like Von Miller, who's so good at, on the left side, and, and and you've seen some of his spectacular highlight reel plays this season have come rushing off of the left. Like if if I'm the Bills in that con- scenario, like I know you put Rousseau on the left a lot. Uh, he he's been pretty comfortable there, but I I try to work up and and I don't have the the snap share in front of me. Like I most of the time I'm trying to think in my head when I when I kind of locate Boogie on a play, AJ on a play. They they are usually on the right side. That's something that, like, you know, I know you want them to be versatile and be able to do things from both sides and play, you know, left and right handed. But, man, I, I just try to find one of those guys that's super comfortable to that spot and just leave them there. Again, this might be me being naive and, you know, I'm not a football coach. I, I don't know how that works. But sometimes I, I just feel like sometimes they put so much on these young players' plates from uh, learning different positions and then you know you get to a point where you got to scale back like the Khalil Shakir thing is a perfect example that I just wonder for guys that maybe not making that taking that next step soon enough at a position where you really want that production at this point especially for Epinesa more than anybody else really putting thought and and listen I know they put thought in this in the offseason like how they're going to kind of set people up for it but I just think it can't be like always a one-size-fits-all like we're going to just get versatility out of every single player, every single time. Sometimes you got to have a specific plan for a player, I think. No, I think that's a valid point. I think uh, there are certain players, too, that year three, year four is when the light bulb comes on, but teams that stuck with those players gave them larger roles to get acclimated to a specific position, benefit from that at that point. And, and when it comes to the Bills with like a guy like Epinesa now, uh, maybe it's the lack of reps, maybe – it's the let maybe he may and maybe he just isn't going to pan out. I, I will say it from both perspectives, but the bills haven't given these young guys a, a lot of run besides Rousseau, obviously who they uh, took in the first round last year, because they had guys like Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison in here. You bring in Von Miller uh, this year, you, you have a veteran like Shaq Lawson. It's going to cut into their reps. So until you give them extended looks and opportunities, you're not quite sure what they can and cannot do on a consistent basis. So maybe it'll be a silver lining that one of these young guys uh, might be able to take advantage of those extra reps with Rousseau out, but time will tell. Time will tell, but I'll tell you right what time won't tell. Oh, we got the super chat, the super All sticker right. from our our uh, our friend Sarah. Oh, sorry, I'm trying to put it in. Oh, I keep taking it out. <laughs> AJ keeps putting it in, taking it out, putting it in, taking it out. Sarah, thank you so much. You've been a valued member of the chat today. Scott Maranto, thank you for helping her out. We appreciate the super chat as always. And um, we got to go to our other segment, Ryan. I forgot yeah. every, every, every episode. I want to bring in uh, our producer, Mr. AJ Chabalski. I said, Cibalski. It right, I? Cibalski. I said it right. no, 
it, Chabalski. I like Chabalski every once in a while. Do throw you, a little bit of a different vibe on there. Come on. Do either of you guys watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine or ever watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine? No. No. Uh, okay. There was this one police uh, officer who adopted his son, and his name was Nikolaj. And every time that uh, Jake Peralta would try to say it, he would say it right, but he'd always get corrected. So that when you just said that, it reminded me exactly of that scene. So it it's become a shtick, AJ. And like everybody's now, whenever your segment comes up, they're going to just see if I could say your last name correctly. All right. All right. Which is so funny because like I literally have to learn 90 names every year for on a football team. And I usually say them all correctly, but for whatever reason, I see your name come up on here and I want to say Chabalski. I don't know why. Chabalski. Chabalski. <laughs> all right. What are you bringing in to us? Let's go. Yeah, the AJ uh, segment. Yeah. I just think the bills, and I think you guys will talk about this next week more. If Keenum starts, I think the bills offensive line is more of an issue than, you know, people think just because of Josh Allen and how good, you know, he's been. So I think if we get Keenan back there or if the Bills get Keenan back there and he's not moving around like Allen is and the, you know, offensive line hasn't been that great. I've, <clears throat> they have a lot more pressures this season and going to be in a tough situation if Keenum's out there because Allen can move around so well. So I think next week, if Keenum starts my hot take, and I'm not saying I'm not giving out any predictions or anything, but I think the Bills could look at a, a game where Keenum goes down a few times and, you know, more than we see from Allen. And that could be the topic of discussion next week is, you know, with Allen coming off that injury with the elbow injury, whenever he comes back, will the Bills be able to protect him and, you know, keep that elbow healthy? Because with, with Keenum back there, it's just not, it's just not the same. No, I, I think that's yeah. a valid, valid point. Um, how many times, Matt, have we sat here on a Sunday or a Monday post game and said, you know, Josh Allen was able to escape multiple sacks because of his athleticism uh, and, and take it 30, 40 yards downfield with his feet or roll out and find a guy down the field. Case Keenum is not going to be able to, to do those things on at least a regular basis. Uh, he might be able to uh, evade one or two guys here or there. But if the Bills let up multiple sacks in this game against a Vikings front seven, uh, then, then there's going to be a lot of conversations about, what do they have on this line? Obviously, I think there's a lot of confidence in, in a guy like Deion Dawkins and Mitch Morse. Uh, Roger Saffold has had ups and downs this year. He had a great block on Sauce Gardner on Allen's one touchdown run. He's been playing better football as of late. Same can be said for Ryan Bates, uh, but same, same idea up and down. Right tackle to me has been the biggest issue going into this year with Spencer Brown missing a lot of time, the back procedure. Uh, he was not playing great football at the time of his injury. Uh, and then Questenberry had some bad plays last week as well. So I think it's going to shine a light on maybe some of the issues that they have. And Brandon Bean says it best. It's hard to find offensive linemen, especially this time of year. Uh, but the Bills might have to change their strategy or thinking in the draft and really go out and draft those offensive linemen round one, round two develop them and make sure that you have people protecting Josh Allen because uh, you don't want these type of elbow injuries happening on a regular basis or putting him uh, in any kind of danger. So I, I think going forward, you might see them really attack that offensive line position via the draft. What do you think, Matt? They have to. And I, I've actually was just talking about this on the, on the sideline uh, today when we were watching practice. It's like, like over at, you know, Spencer Brown trying to work his way back in. They obviously spent a third round draft pick on him. Tommy Doyle uh, out for the season, a fifth round draft pick on him a couple years ago. And then you look at the rest of their offensive. They traded for Ryan Bates, undrafted free agent. Um, David Questenberry, they signed as a free agent. Mitch Morris, they signed as a, as a free agent. Roger Saffold, they signed as a free agent. Deion Dawkins was one of the first draft picks. I don't, I don't even think he, he wasn't even drafted by Brandon Bean. So they just like you look at some of the teams. Like you know, obviously the, the the closest team to compare them to is the Chiefs because both teams have similar quarterbacks, elite quarterbacks, and they have a recent track record of valuing the draft picks of a, of an offensive lineman and hitting on them. I mean, Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, two really good players. You know, that's the found those are foundational pieces of your offensive line. And Brandon Bean, listen, it's not like he's actively trying not to do not to build up this offensive line, but sometimes you 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 gotta you gotta pivot when things aren't working, right? Like they were attacking the defensive line in the draft, and rightfully so. They have to get after the quarterback. It's important. But 
multiple kind of uh, stone skips uh, at, at the defensive end position, you know, in Rousseau, Basham, and Epinesa. And right now you're sitting here with one, I'd say, quality starter at defensive end when you still have issues on the interior of your offensive line. I just think they've, to your point, AJ, they misplayed their hand a little bit on the offensive line. There's nothing you could do about it now. I think they have a really good center. Uh, I think he struggles a little bit uh, at times against bigger physical interior players. Listen, they're coming off of a matchup against Quentin, Quentin Williams, which he's, he's arguably the best interior pass rusher in the league. And they're going to go now to this week against the Minnesota Vikings. Their number one pressure bringer is Zadarius Smith, who's going to be coming off the edge. 20 pressures leads their team, eight and a half sacks. He's cooking. He's a really great player. But when they've only had to kind of game plan for one guy, and I know Daniel Hunter, he can also play as well. Uh, but I think they'll be a little bit more able to deal with that front than I think what the Jets are bringing. Um, but yeah, I think there's real question marks about the interior uh, of that offensive line, AJ. Good point. Yeah, I think it's just, you, you know, I think the Bills, you're, you're right, they didn't address that. I think Roger, Roger Saffold is very a great, a great run blocker, but not the best pass blocker. And, you know, I think I saw on Twitter earlier, I forgot who it was, but pressures that led to a sack, it was 10% in 2020, 14% in 2021. I think it increased up to like 38% against the Jets, and it's increased this year, a couple more percentages. So there's more pressure on the quarterback. And I just think with Keenum in, I think it's, you know, people are going to really realize how this offensive line is somewhat limited. They bring yeah. in that short passing game going, Ryan Talbot. Exactly what I was going to say. Get it out fast. Kind of follow that uh, Zach Wilson model that the Jets used last week uh, against the Bills. Get it out fast to your guys. Let them do the work. Avoid those hits. Tops is bringing all the hits. Mm-hmm. I mean, over at the Carryout Cafe, uh, game day spread, tailgating spread. You're going down to Highmark Stadium and you are, you know, getting the grill out. Check out these deals. Hot to go, fresh, large cheese and pepperoni pizza, $14. You don't even need a grill for that one. Jumbo chicken wings, 10 count, $14. The legendary breakfast pizza. You can get a large for $20. Pizza or taco log, six count, $7.69. Baby back rib sections, $5.99 a pound. Subs, sandwiches, wraps, apps, sides, and so much more. Visit topsmarkets.com slash red zone for the complete menu of ready to enjoy fan favorites. He is AJ Sabalski. Ooh. <laughs> did I say it right? Yes, you did. Hey, <laughs> he is Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino. We'll be right back on Friday. We'll preview the Vikings versus the Bills. Hopefully, we will be, uh, we'll have a little bit clearer of a picture on the quarterback situation. We'll see you guys very soon. Take care, everybody. Out, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.